we are in the lost and found department again. The last message out of four, and we've been looking at this out of the Gospel of Luke in Luke chapter 15. And in the Gospel of Luke, the key verse in the Gospel of Luke is Luke 19.10. And it says this, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And if you read through the Gospel of Luke, you'll find that the emphasis is on a Savior who's on mission. And he's out there seeking and saving that which is lost. And we come to this chapter 15, and we've looked at three of these uh, points already. And you see that he gives a parable. Uh, a parable is a short story, not always a short story, I guess. It's a story that has a, a hidden meaning, uh, often a, a meaning that is, you know, like the word para means to be put aside or come aside alongside something. And it's a story that has a deeper story within it. And for those that listen to Jesus, they would, some of them would kind of hear the story and then they would maybe think a little deeper and they would say, aha, that, I can identify with that story, right? The lost sheep, the lost coin. You remember that? We talked about the lost silver. And then we last time, two weeks ago, we were in this passage, we looked at a lost son, the prodigal son. And often those three are, I've heard lots of sermons over the years on those three items, but I haven't heard a lot of sermons on the last one. And that's where we're going to go today, which is the lost sibling. Because the father that we talked about last time, who had this prodigal son who returned, um, had another son. And that son never left home. He, he was a son, at least outwardly, uh, had not brought any shame to his father, had done nothing but really good in his life, and had worked very hard. And that's sort of where we pick it up today, okay? Um, the fatted calf has been, remember, has been slain, and they're having a feast and a rejoicing over the son that had returned home. And this older son, he is in the field, and he's working, and he comes back. And that's where we pick it up. Luke 15, verse 25 says, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as the son of this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood and with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Lord, again, we come before you opening up your word. We recognize the supernatural part of this work, Lord, of the opening of your word, how your word will not return void. It always accomplishes what it's intended to. And Lord, as we open up this text this morning and look at it and expound on it, I pray you'd open it to our hearts and minds. And oh Lord, you'd teach us as only you can. 
May you put your, your finger on our hearts where they need to be touched. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We look at this text and you see this lost sibling. And I say lost. The indication here is that there was one son that went off, the younger son. Remember, he took his, his inheritance early before his father died and his father gave it to him. He went off and with riotous living, he spent it all and ends up coming back. And it was this great celebration that's taking place. But there's this other son, the older son, and he has been there all along and he's angry and you see that and I want to look at this son because you know sometimes and again we're looking at um, this kind of like context of this parable you remember in the beginning of this chapter when Jesus is teaching first of all he's sitting and eating with publicans and sinners and that brought sort of the anger aroused of the scribes and the Pharisees scribes and the Pharisees were the religious bunch they were the ones that would walk around, and particularly the Pharisees, as they walked around, um, they looked righteous on the outside. But as Second Timothy, I think it's three five, says, they held to a form of godliness, but denied the power thereof. They were religious outwardly, but inwardly, Jesus says, they were filled with dead men's bones. That's how they were. They were dead spiritually to him. And those Pharisees brought accusation against Jesus because he sat and ate with sinners. Jesus tells a parable. And he tells about the lost sheep. And he tells about the lost silver and the lost son. And he gets to this one. And I think in the back of his mind, and uh, I know hopefully for some of the Pharisees that were there also, they realized that they were like the lost sibling. They were like the ones that outwardly, they had done everything right. That You couldn't even bring an accusation against them. But inwardly, they were dead spiritually. And this son, and we don't know, I don't want to go too deep in, in saying who this son is, because we don't know. He's just a generic son. I say that's what it says. doesn't give a name. doesn't give a name. The, the previous one, we call him the prodigal, but he doesn't give his name either. I think it was a couple pastors, they were sitting down, a few pastors sitting down and when pastors get together, there's always some theological discussion that comes up, you know. And uh, it sometimes leads to all kinds of uh, funny little arguments and all those kind of things. And there were these pastors, and they were sitting down, and they were talking about this passage. And, and they, one of the pastors says, I, I really want to know who the prodigal son's brother was. And one of the pastors says, well, I know who it is. And, I mean, he's not named. And so they all stopped right there, and they wanted to hear what he would have to say. And the man looked at them all and he said, it's me. And you know, there's a little bit of me in the sibling here. Because sometimes, outwardly, somebody might look at us and they might say, they look like they're doing okay. They're, they're sitting in church this morning. They're singing hymns. They're out there working for the Lord and they're doing things. But inwardly, they may not be where they should be. And we find here, that's exactly what was going on with this son. First thing we see about him is that we see his position. His position as a son. And the position was this. says, now his older son. He was the older one. Now, in that culture in particular, the older son held, actually, uh, he had the right to have double the portion of the younger son, if there was another son, when it came to inheritance. 
So I think there's been a grudge here because here is one of the sons who's taken his portion and he's left. And in the process of that, of course, he's probably, this other son is thinking, he took some of my father's wealth. And if that wealth had maybe stayed in the family, it could have grown more and I would have more. I mean, maybe I'm reading too much into that, but that's how people think. Sometimes they look and they say, if that younger son, my younger brother who went out and wasted all that, if he had just held on a little longer and, you know, waited this out, we'd all have more. He was thinking entirely materially. And he was the older son. And by the way, sometimes when we come to this, you know, people don't realize that there's a heart issue that's going on here. And that's what we see with this, this older son. He had a heart issue. He had a heart problem. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that as we get into this. But we find out that um, his position was one of privilege. He was the older son. Therefore, he would have had the, uh, not only the standing of the inheritance that would come to him eventually, but he also would have had that place of honor as well. And now he comes back from the field and there's this party going on, a festivity that's going on, and he's not part of it. And I have to tell you, sometimes we have to come to that conclusion that it's not all about us. Sometimes it's about others, isn't it? And it should be. And in this case, that's what this father says later on in that. We see he had a position of privilege. Secondly, we see he was, had a position of productivity. He was the son that was actually making money for his father. He was out there in the fields. He was working and he was doing that. And he was taking that time to work when his brother and the rest of the family were out there partying. And he held a grudge about that. Sometimes that life can feel that way, doesn't it? Sometimes you feel like, man, I'm the only one working. I'm the only one doing this. In reality, there's a time to celebrate also. There's a time to stop working. But there was a position of productivity. I think really, and this is where this comes to light, if you were to kind of identify with these different parts of the parable, I think we understand about the lost sheep, you know, the sinner that is lost outside the fold, and the Savior comes and seeks that one sheep. We understand that. I was that one sheep at one time. He brought me into his fold by faith, and he made me a son. I, I have at times been, you know, a place where something valuable has been lost and you're looking for it. I can identify with that one. I can identify with the prodigal because sometimes this heart of mine can play the prodigal. But when it comes to this one, this is where, you know, we also have to stop. And if we're honest with ourselves, we can identify with sometimes this idea of someone who's working and working and working thinking we're going to earn favor with the Father. When in reality, the Father, in this case, wasn't even thinking about the older son. He was thinking about the son that had been lost and been found. And uh, it wasn't that he wasn't thinking about him, but the celebration wasn't about that son. And I think there are many people out there that they outwardly are serving and working and doing, and they think somehow that's going to attain favor with God. The Bible declares for us that it's not the way it is. 
And by the way, if you were to look at this son, and I'm talking about the identifications, remember, he identifies probably closely with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were listening to this parable. They were like this lost sibling. They were the ones that outwardly, they looked really good. They didn't, you couldn't fault them for the laws of Moses. Remember, they had made all these additional laws to protect them from breaking the actual law. And they made it so cumbersome that people couldn't follow any of them. And the Pharisees walked around with that cloak of righteousness, which was a self kind of righteousness. This son is very similar to that. He had this self-righteousness about him. He was good. He hadn't brought dishonor to his father. He was working in the fields. And some think that somehow if we act like that, we're going to get to heaven. But that's not what God looks at. You know, in the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, when the prophet comes to anoint uh, the next king in Israel, they all thought it would be the older son of David, uh, of Jesse, excuse me, but instead it would be the youngest son, David. And this is what Samuel says For the Lord does not see a man or see as man sees, for the man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? Heart. Do you know God looks right through us and he knows our very inner being? There are some people today sitting in churches and places of of religion, wherever that is, and whatever that is, and they're trying to act out something, hoping to obtain favor with God or appease his anger. That's how a lot of people approach uh, this whole journey as we talk about of life, thinking that if I could somehow appease the angry gods or I can somehow find favor with God or gods, somehow I'll be delivered in the end when death comes. And the Bible declares there's not one of us that was good enough. Not one of us. None of our best works, even if you worked all day in those fields and continue to do so, and you never, ever, you know, brought dishonor to your father or anything like that, you still fall short. And I say dishonor because the heart of this son was far from honoring his father. And really the Pharisees' hearts, the scribes' hearts were also, they, though they were part of the religious elite, they were also the ones that were the furthest from him in reality in doing that. We need a new heart. John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus said to a Pharisee, his name was Nicodemus, Nicodemus at least came seeking answers and he came to the right place. Later on, we have Nicodemus also at the end of the crucifixion of Christ. He's there and he's numbered with the disciples. So I think he's a man of faith. He had a new heart. Not all the Pharisees were bad. There were some that truly wanted to honor God. And God honored that in revealing himself to them. He was one of them. He comes to Jesus by night, and in verse 3, that passage, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to think about that one verse, and of course, there's a lot more that follows in that passage, but this is a Pharisee who most likely would have, from a youth, been following the things of the laws of Moses and of the prophets, And he would have tailored his life as such that you couldn't accuse him of sin. And now Jesus says, oh, that's by the wayside. 
you need to be born again. You need a new heart. Now, he didn't understand that fully because he thinks, well, he's talking about a physical birth. And it wasn't about a physical birth. Jesus says you need to be born from above, literally, in the text. That's what it says. He needed a heart that was new from the Lord. And the religious heart is never enough. There's always something you fail to do. There's always something that uh, doesn't, you know, outwardly, somebody might not be able to accuse you, but inwardly, the religious nature of people, I say religion, I'm using that sort of negative, but what I mean by that is simply uh, the practice of what looks to be like a Christian doesn't necessarily match what's really going on in the heart. There are people who can fool you any day, and they can do that, but they don't fool God. And Jesus got to the heart of the matter with Nicodemus. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. You're not saved by yourself. You're not saved by your works. Look what it says. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. See, this son, he's angry because he's been doing all these things. He's working in the fields, and he's, uh, he's been the good son, and he's brought honor to his father through whatever he's doing. And yet, down deep, he really wanted celebration for him. He wanted to boast in his works. And it wasn't about the works. It was about grace. You see, there was grace being offered to a son who had gone out and spent his living. And he had gone out and he had gotten to the very bottom of things when he was eating what the pigs didn't eat anymore. And he was living like that. And he comes home. And you know, the father could have just said, you're not my son. Could have turned his back on him. Could have said, don't even step foot in this house ever again or on this property. Could have, but he didn't. Instead, as we saw in the previous section, he runs to the son and he embraces him and he kisses him and then he goes out and he has a great celebration. And you know what that is? Grace. That's getting something that you don't deserve. And you know what salvation is? It's by grace. I don't deserve salvation. My life was nothing more than a stench before God because of my sin. Even though I think I hid a lot of it from people, God knew it. And you know what? When he saved me, it was solely by grace, not because I did anything. And by the way, I can't keep it either because it's only by grace that it's kept as well. And this son, and there's an image here of this son who apparently... Uh, and again, he, he could paint for you also the believer who has secretly in their heart really not where they should be. And they aren't following the Lord. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly where this man was with faith. We just know that his attitude was totally wrong and he had to be at least rebuked for it. We don't really see of the correction that might follow. Well, point number two. We see the son's position in the family, but we see the son's problem with the festivities. There's a problem, and the problem, again, is down in the heart, isn't it? Luke chapter 15, verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Oh no, somebody's having a good time. You know, I've met Christians like that. They look out there, and they see Christians having fun, and they're like, oh, you shouldn't have fun. Too much fun, you know, right? I've said that before. Quakers meeting has begun. No more laughing, no more fun. 
No more showing your teeth or tongue, right? You know, and that's how some are. They baptized in pickle juice, as they say, you know. And just, there they are. Don't have fun. Well, that's the first thing. Too much frivolity going on, right? But it was what was right because they were celebrating. A son had come home and had been restored. And just as the angels in heaven rejoice, do you think the angels in heaven rejoice by just sitting there? No. Every time you see angels in the scriptures, there's often song involved and and there's things that are said and there's thunders and lightning and all kinds of stuff and it's going to be exciting. You haven't seen anything yet. Heaven awaits. He heard music and dancing and so he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. My friends, you see a beautiful picture here. And if this part of the parable identifies probably closest with the Pharisaical heart or the Pharisee, you think about the Pharisees. They were just like that. They, they were the ones that were the keepers of the law. That's what a Pharisee means. Keeper of the law. And the protector of the law. And here they were entrusted with the very laws of Moses and the scribes. The scribes were entrusted with the word of God. They were the ones that meticulously would hand copy the scrolls of the Bible. And we are blessed to have such a Bible before us today that took you know, people, men of old, that took the time to meticulously copy word for word, character for character, to another scroll. As that scroll got old and was wearing out, they had to continually do that. It was quite a process. They did all that. And yet, some of them, in their hearts, they were as far from God as they could be. Some of them were angry. They were angry that Jesus would sit with sinners and not with them and give them honor. Here this son comes and he's not giving honor or given the honor and he's really sitting in the same place the Pharisees were sitting in his heart. You know the Bible says this and this is Jesus when he was speaking about the Pharisees. Matthew chapter 23. He didn't go lightly on the Pharisees. And he says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He didn't make friends probably with that crowd very easily. (laughs) But he spoke the truth. He says, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. You know what he says? You won't go in. And you won't let others go in. Think about that. That's exactly what this lost sibling was doing. When he found out there was a festivity going on and it was honoring his brother, he would not go in. How many people won't become a Christian because they feel, there are various reasons, they're angry with God. Lots of people are angry with God. and, And I can tell you this, that God can take our anger, by the way. He's a big God. And apart from our hard attitudes, He's still God. And I'm thankful for that. And there have been times, if you're honest with yourself, probably you've been mad with the Lord. Don't be. But you know what? We get that way. Don't stay that way. He's good. 
He's gracious. And you know what? Here is this son, and he's just like the Pharisees. You know, he goes on to say later in, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You see, there was one son who went out and actually did all the lawlessness. He spent his, his inheritance on riotous living. His, his brother says on harlots, on prostitutes, and you can just fill in the blank with all the things that he did with his money. But it was gone. It was spent. But yet he found grace. This son, on the other hand, he's, he's upset. And he's the righteous one, right? Outwardly. But inwardly, he wasn't. Inwardly, he was just as much a prodigal. Luke chapter 15. And by the way, you, you have to understand that sometimes people will continue to go through the motions. The Pharisees were continuing to go through the motions and the traditions and the laws that Moses was given and followed down through the scriptures. And yet inwardly they weren't part of it. It was David Price Jones who went to Hereford Cathedral in England. He was, uh, while showing the cathedral to a pair of foreign guests, they stumbled upon a service in in progress, and he was rebuked by the vicar. The funny thing was that there wasn't a single worshiper apart from the vicar in that church. That was it. And yet the vicar was going about conducting a worship service for evening prayer time. Price Jones said this, Evensong was taking place in a vacuum. Sometimes religion leaves you just in a vacuum, and it doesn't give you anything, does it? Unless there's a heart for it, a heart for the Lord. There was a problem with motives. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. And here he is saying, I've done all these good things, and you've never celebrated me. Remember, his heart was about him, not about his father. Interesting when he says, I have been serving you. The word there that he uses is akin to being a slave. He's saying to his dad, hi, I've been your slave all these years. And you haven't so much as had one you know, time. You've gone out and even taken a kid goat and celebrated. Let alone the fatted calf. Sometimes that's the way we look at things. I've slaved at this station, whatever it is, right? How many people out there? And there's various things that all of us find ourselves enslaved to in some way. Sometimes they're things that just have to be done. You have to serve. And it's hard work. I think of all the moms here and the grandmothers. and uh, It's hard work to raise children, isn't it? Dads, too. But I think of all the work that goes into just caring for a little infant. And then sometimes more than those. <laughs> just going and going and going. Sometimes you don't feel appreciated. 
But you know what? God looks at the heart, doesn't he? Thankful for those that do that with joy. And all the the menial tasks that go on. And the big things too that have to be done. Whatever it is, do as what Paul says, everything unto the Lord, right? For his glory, unto the Lord. We're to do that. Think of Jonah. Jonah was like that. Jonah was a prophet. He was probably the greatest evangelist, apart from Jesus Christ, that ever walked this earth. You say, really? Jonah? You didn't hear about him. But Jonah has a book, his name's on it. And we read of Jonah. He was the prophet that God said, oh, by the way, Jonah, um, you're to go to uh, your enemies, the Ninevites, the Assyrians, and you're to go preach against them. Yeah, that's what I say. Okay, that's like, Jack, I want you to go to the Taliban and preach against them. Or you pick and choose, whatever. I could just say, that's probably not really smart, God. I don't think you thought that through. And I would have been a lot like Jonah. And I probably would say, I'm getting out of here. I'm going to go and I'm going to hide. And that's what Jonah did. He runs away, total opposite direction from Nineveh. And he goes down to Joppa. Then he goes into a ship, down in the ship. And then he goes down from there in the middle of the storm. They throw him overboard because he's the problem. And he goes down into the ocean and it's there as he's going down, dying, he's, his dying breath that's now escaping his lungs, he pleads to God. And a whale swallows him, and three days later he's spit up. A walking miracle. Then he goes to Nineveh. And there were hundreds of thousands of people in Nineveh. And the city repents at the message of Jonah. Oh, think about that. Whole city. Hundreds of thousands of people repenting. They, they actually, it held off God's, God's judgment. Because that's the way God is. He always is gracious and he will provide mercy if you ask for it. And the Ninevites, those evil, wicked people, actually, by faith, accepted the Lord God of Jonah. Jonah chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he became angry. Think about that. Just like the prodigal son's brother. The sibling. Jonah has just seen the greatest, not only, secondly, he saw his own miracle that he survived in the whale's belly or even, I think, died and was spit up alive, resurrected, because Jesus says, as Jonah was in the in the belly of the whale, so must the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. And Jesus died and was in the earth. I think Jonah died too. And he was spit up. And the prayer of Jonah comes after the, the uh, swallowing, but I think it's actually the order of it, if you read in the book of Jonah. And I'm not going to, it's not a hill to die on on this, but I just say this, I think it implies as the weeds in the water and everything's wrapping him, he's praying, and he's, he's, on his di- he's dying. And God honors it. He saw that miracle. Then he saw a whole city repent. And that's the capital city of the Assyrians. And you know, that means that that whole generation now were God followers. And he's angry. And here's the prodigal son's brother. He's the older brother. And he sees his brother who was gone and was just as good as dead. He was now alive. 
and he's angry. Isn't it funny how people think? Our hearts are desperately wicked at times. I remember in the early days when people were getting saved up here in the valley. I, I came a little later than some of you, but in the 1980s. Um, in 1988, I became a Christian. But I, I remember in our town of Eagle Lake, there were lots of people. I say lots, but there were people getting saved. Not a big town. <clears throat> and you knew what was going on. And I remember one family, they were on, they actually, they were, it was a mess. They were on the verge of a divorce, and everybody in the, in the town knew that. They knew that that family was victimized by substance abuse, all kinds of stuff. And all of a sudden, they got right with God and became Christians. And their marriage was back together. And the alcohol wasn't a a part of the scene anymore. And the drugs were all gone. And I remember somebody saying, I can't believe that happened to them. Why would they do that? Why would they go that way? (laughs) <laughs> and they were angry that these people were now on the right path, walking by faith, happy, joyous, I mean, you name it. And they were mad that someone became a Christian. Funny, isn't it, how we think? We'd almost rather see that brother down there eating whatever the pigs left and living miserably and being trapped by his sin than to see him sitting now at the place of honor at his father's table and rejoicing because he's alive oh my friends check your hearts I have checked my heart oh God Jonah was angry and so he prayed to the Lord and said ah Lord was not this what I said when I was still in my country therefore I fled previously to Tarshish for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness or mercy One who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah had a pride problem. The reason, he says to God, the reason I ran from you is because I knew you're just like that. You're going to send me to the Ninevites and they'll actually get saved. Because you're a God that's slow to anger and you love mercy. Isn't that great? That's how God is. But Jonah couldn't take that. And he runs away. Then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? Oh boy, when the Lord asks those kind of questions, you know what? The answer is no. Very simple. So Jonah went out of the city and he sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. He was there for the entertainment at that point. Let's see what happens. If God's going to destroy the city, which he told me he would, or if he wouldn't. And of course he knew God wasn't going to because the people had repented. Verse 11, God tells him this. And this is after God provided a gourd that grew up and provided him shade and all that. that Finally the dry wind hit that and the gourd dies. And Jonah is angry again because his gourd, this plant, is dead. And his shade is no longer there. And he says afterwards, and should I not pity Nineveh? This is what the Lord said. That great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left. Those are children. Can't discern from their left to their right. Right to left. Whatever. (laughs) Listen. 
God was concerned for Nineveh because he was going to destroy the whole city, including the children, including livestock. He says, he says, and much livestock. God does not delight in judging at all. He doesn't. But there comes a time when it's it. And if you will not turn to him in, and repent of sin, judgment will come. And it's on us. It's period. It's not God's problem. It's our problem. Because the wrath of God abides on us. But God is a loving God and a merciful God and slow to anger. And you know what? He will extend that grace and mercy to anyone who will ask in faith. Jonah didn't really get that. We don't really know if Jonah ever corrected that. This is how the book of Jonah ends. With God making the last call. (laughs) By the way, that's how it always is. God will have the last thing to say. Luke chapter 15, verse 30. But as soon as this son of yours, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And again, I I just say it this way, that sometimes this son, you know, he, he doesn't even want to identify with his father as a son. He says, this son of yours. Not that it's my brother, but your son you know you think about that and he makes that plain statement of fact but again um, the difference in someone's attitude you know what amazing uh, beautiful light of the gospel it is when christians accept those who have turned to faith in christ and some especially that have come out of very very dark circumstances and have turned, and now they're part of the household of faith. And it's only really Christians walking with the Lord that can do that. And the person who is the enemy of God now is the son of God, right? A son. And you see that. I think that's the most beautiful thing when Christians do that. It always ought to be that way. Uh, religion won't. Religion says, stay out of my clubhouse. Unless you look just like me and act just like me. And say the same things I say. And do the same things I say. Stay out of my clubhouse. That's how religion is. It was C.S. Lewis. Who struggled with that. For most of his. Well his early adult years. He struggled with religion. And he had grown up in Ulster. And uh, he had gone to the, the churches. And as his brother Warren put it. He said. Um, there's a difference. Explain, he explains why for so many years his brother, C.S. Lewis, had such great difficulty in becoming a Christian. He says, Religion A had blinded him to religion B. According to his brother Warren, his conversion was, quote, no sudden plunge into new life, but rather a slow, steady convalescence from a deep-seated spiritual illness. An illness that had its origins in our childhood, in the dry husks of religion offered by semi-political churchgoers of Ulster and the similar dull emptiness of compulsory church during our school days. I'm thankful for a guy like C.S. Lewis, who came to faith in Christ. And it was a slow process. You read some of the early works of C.S. Lewis and you wonder, where is he coming from? And then... Then you go through some of those things and you realize 
He got it right, and he understood grace. Slow convalescence. Sometimes we need to heal from our religion, okay? Jesus said this, But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murderers, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Here's this son who hadn't gone and practiced any of those things in the flesh, but in the heart he was there. And ultimately, he would not even identify with his father. Think about that. That's blasphemy, by the way, when we do that. In the case of God, when you say, I will not have this man rule over me, like Jesus, that's what, that was an accusation against him, right? It's, it's really blasphemy because you've, you've blasphemed the only way out for salvation. You've blasphemed God. Well, there is a problem and there, with the methods, but you know, there's a solution too. It's called yielding our hearts to the Lord. And yielding ourselves to the Holy Spirit, the work of the Comforter. I love that because uh, in this text, um, the Bible says he pleaded. Look what it says. And we'll go to point three. The father's petition to the son. He pleaded with him. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. The word for pleaded, it's perikaleo. And it is the the uh, verb that means to come alongside, to help, to comfort, to urge. It is the same actual root word, anyways, of the noun form, which Jesus said in John 14, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper or another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. And who is that? It's the Holy Spirit. The next verse says, The Spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. Do you know we have a comforter? We have one that allows us to come alongside of others and rejoice with them. I love that. And by the way, the next verse in that says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Isn't it great that God our Father has a place for us at his table? We yield ourselves to him. It's what we need to do. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Do you know what the problem with the Pharisees was? And you know what the problem with this lost sibling was? Is that they had no means of being able to live by the Spirit of God because they didn't have the Spirit of God in them. And when we don't yield ourselves to the Spirit of God, we can act that very way. I love the, what it talks about here, the fruit of the Spirit. There's some inner fruits and there's outer fruits. By the way, God knows the inner fruits, but those around you will also experience those when they're shown up in, they show up in your life. Love. Love is an interaction that expresses itself outward, doesn't it? How about joy? Joy. Joy in the midst of a world that is just so dark and awful. And I tell you, I get depressed every time if I get dwelling on everything around me. 
But he can give us joy in the midst of that. How about peace? When everybody's at war, you can have peace in your heart. Long-suffering. Long-suffering. How, how long will you suffer with something? Or someone? <laughs> That's an inner, inner thing that expresses itself outwardly. And then how about kindness? We need more kind people. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. How about gentleness? Self-control. Oy. All those would preach. I could spend an hour on each one of those easily. Too convicting though. I'm not going <laughs> to. Against such there is no law. You cannot mandate these positive things. The Pharisees walked around and they said, I never do that. I never did that. I only work in God's field. I and in their hearts they were actually blaspheming. And they were committing adultery because they were looking on women and lusting after them. They were doing those things. Jesus knew that. He accused them of that. Anyways, we'll move on. Got to wrap it up here. He said to him, and said to him, Son, you are always with me. Now this is an important truth because I think this speaks deeper than things. You know what his father says here? You're still my son. So this... Sibling could represent someone who is spiritually lost, but he also could represent a son that is backslidden. He's not where he should be spiritually. And sometimes from the outside, it's hard to tell. It really is. Sometimes I can look at somebody and say, that guy's not a Christian. And he might be. Just he's not living for the Lord. And then there's other times where someone is, looks like they're living for the Lord and they're not. And that's why there's a lot of mystery wrapped up in this son, this sibling. But I would say this, that the father knew. The father says, son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. And it was right. It was meat in the old English. He says, in other words, it was the right thing to do that we should make merry and be glad. Oh, sometimes we need a little more joy in our life. And it should be the joy over the right things. For your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Oh, I'm thankful for that. You see, he pleads with him over, the first of all, the promises. He pleads with him and says that you are my son. And then he pleads with him over priorities. He says, this was right. Even though he was out working in the field and doing something that was good, it wasn't the top priority. The top priority was to stop and celebrate and to do that. And my friends... We need, to, we need to be like that. We need to understand that we are heirs with Jesus Christ. If you're a believer, that's your position. You're, uh, the Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 12, um, it, it says this, As many as received him, to them he became... Or, I'm sorry, I'm going to... Thank you. There we go. Became, we are called the sons of God or the children of God, literally. If you receive Jesus Christ, you receive the Son, you are actually part of the Father's family. And we're reminded of that because sometimes it might not be that way. Watchman Nee, who was, uh, you may have read some of his books, little books uh, like Sit, Walk, Stand. Oh, amazing book about being secure in Christ and the Christian walk of maturity. A great book. 
like 77 pages, so you can sit down and read in the evening, you know. Nothing too hard, but so deep. And by the way, Watchman Nee was in China. He was a Chinese uh, pastor, uh, Christian, influenced by the Methodists and the uh, Plymouth Brethren. And he actually started or was used in starting the largest Protestant uh, movement in China before communism took over. In 1921, his little uh, group called the Little Flock became very big. And by 1949, when the communist uh, revolution took place in, in China, uh, Ni, who was still out there preaching the gospel, he was doing all that, he was targeted by the, the government because he was, not going, he was not an atheist. And under communism, you had to, to basically denounce uh, any kind of religion. Uh, and so he wouldn't do that, and he continued his work. And by, I think it was 1952... He was arrested and put in prison. He remained in prison for the next 20 years until he died in 1972 and he was released to the presence of God from prison. He was a great man. He was a man who wrote all kinds of things and even after he um, was in prison, he continued to write and some, some of those things are preserved in dozens of little works that he did and he continued to teach and other things. But I came across this note, and I don't read Chinese, but someone else translated it. Um, But 38 days before his death, he wrote this. Through all that I have suffered, I maintained my joy. And you know, I was thinking about that because uh, Ni had a lot of illustrations in his life and stuff. And there was one that came out in this, and it was this, that one day when there was a new convert who had come to him... And the man was in great distress. He said, no matter how much I pray, no matter how hard I try, I simply cannot seem to be faithful to my Lord. I think I'm losing my salvation. And he said, do you see this dog over here? He is my dog. He is house trained. He never makes a mess. He is obedient. He is a pure delight to me. Out in the kitchen, I have a son, a baby son. He makes a mess. He throws his food around. He fouls his clothes. He is a total mess. But who is going to inherit my kingdom? Not my dog. My son is my heir. And he looked at the man. He said, you are Jesus Christ's heir because it is for you that he died. We are Christ's heirs, not through our perfection, but by means of of his grace let's pray lord we are thankful for the word of god today and lord i i know there are times my heart goes wandering as a prodigal thank you for this parable with such eternal meaning help us yield ourselves to you help us rest today in the very fact that if we trust you we are sons rightful heirs with jesus christ oh what grace oh what mercy oh what great salvation we commit our day to you and oh lord i pray again that many in our world today would come to saving faith they would turn from their sin and trust you in jesus name we pray amen